what is it that you do? What, what, that would be a good place to start. Okay. Um, so I run my own finance consultancy. We're primarily mortgage brokers, I like to say, to the rich and infamous, as we have lots of high-profile clients who like to keep things highly confidential. So we end up being kind of the private banker for our clients. Um, bank service levels have disappeared in the last few years. Branches are closing down. So we sort of step in to take up that gap and look after clients in central and eastern suburbs who value service and um, and need need a quality advisor in their corner. Fair enough. Cool. So I'm always interested in people and like, you know, why they're here and how we got to this point. So where are you from? Where, where were you born? Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't really want to confess that. Um, <laughs> Palmerston also all places. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a suburb near the airport called Milson, oh, yeah. which is now all developed and there's houses everywhere. Um, and the places I used to roam free as a kid and go eel hunting and, you know, climb the back fence and get into all sorts of trouble. So, not hmm. what it used to be. I'm actually from Palmy too. I don't know if you know that. Oh, okay. Palmy Voice, did you go? Uh, no, I left. Just before I started high school, and we moved to Tiawamutu in the Waikato. Oh, geez, eh? From one place to another. Well, I know it was a lot warmer in um, Tiawamutu, and that had Hamilton, the mighty Hamilton nearby, all its interesting aspects. What are your thoughts on it being ranked one of the most beautiful cities in the world, along with Wanganui? Um, I I don't know where they got that statistic, but isn't, isn't there like the top 10 cities in the world and Auckland's usually in the top 10 and also San Diego. I've been to the States and I've found San Diego quite similar because it's a harbour city. Only big difference is they have a naval base, which you just is jaw dropping to most Kiwis because you go there. I did a tour and you go on a boat and you go right next to an aircraft carrier, which is absolutely huge. Mm. It's it's like looking up at a floating um, city on a, a big football field platform, and you can see see into it with all the planes and other bits and pieces. Hmm. Well, where's the interest in military come from? Or you were just bored? And you're like, oh, let's go look at this massive boat. Oh well, <laughs> I was I wanted to do a tour, so it was a tour on the ocean, which I love boats. So I thought, well, let's get out there and see what San Diego is really like from the water. And um, they also had a pub there that was the base for the um, New Zealand yachting team when they were competing at San Diego. So there was a slice of New Zealand um, and an otherwise very foreign culture. Huh. That's a, well, so boats, where, where'd that come? So you're boats, man. Are you like fishing? You like racing? You yeah. like yeah, drowning? Yeah, or fishing. No, no. I've had a go at drowning. I sunk a boat, but we won't go there. <laughs> um that was actually the day the America's Cup boat um, split in half and started to sink. I don't know if you recall what dramatics race, but um, no, I bought my first boat um, when I got into fly fishing. So I used to drive to Rotorua and Taupo and go fly fishing off my boat. Uh, off a boat? Fly fishing off a boat? Okay. Yeah, because yeah. they go into a, onto a, a lake, which is... This season's actually been closed over China because of some cockle infestation that the um, the local area don't want spreading. So 
you can't actually fish it at the moment, as far as I know, but I used to launch near the uh, lodge at Okatina and go across to um, a stream entrance where the fish would run up to spawn and you'd park the boat and fly fish into the depths. And typically, you'd be there and the stars are reflecting off the water and it's really quiet except for the screaming possums. And um, the occasional trout doing a massive jump near, near you was an epic um, location for fishing. Yeah, wow. Yeah, my mum got me. I remember the first fish I ever caught got stuck in the um, first fish on my own. So there was no mum around there to save me. But the, the, the fish got caught in the wedge of the wharf. <laughs> and oh, I was a kid no. and I was freaking out like, oh, I was drowning. Even though, you know, you're hooking it up and pulling it in. So it's a bit of a. Yeah. So, okay. you What was school like for you? Were you, uh, were you the really smart one? Were you the dumb one? Were you the pretty one? Were you the fast one? What was it? Uh, oh, is there another category? Um, <laughs> you can make up your own. <laughs> yeah. I put it this way. Um, I was smart, but I tried to hide it because that didn't make you popular and I was new to the town. Um, so you've already got this, who are you vibe going on? And then when you start getting the top marks in the class, they're like, who do you think you are? Um, coming in here and sort of trashing on our turf. Um, but I stuck to it and I ended up being runner up ducks in my college year. So yeah, I, I usually had a fairly good academic record. Hmm. Well, what's your thoughts on learning? Cause I've, I've, I've heard of different frameworks to learn. Like for example, doing practice tests is a great way to solidify and understand things. Notes may not necessarily be as effective as practice tests. What, what's your, what's your study tips? What, what have you found? Or you just oh. naturally gifted? Woke no, up with glasses no. and like, bomb. No, I had to work. I had to work. I had a good memory, but I had to work on the other aspects. So, um, I've actually studied how to study, if you for want of a better phrase. So I've done speed reading courses. I've done mind mapping courses. I've done how to prep for an exam and you build the whole model in your head so that you can almost visualize the answer before you have to write anything. Hmm. So structurally, I can, I was so well prepped for geography. I didn't even have to think of that exam. I just smashed it out. I was finished early, but um, other subjects like maths. That I had to do extra, extra work on and you know, get your mind in a different process. So they want to see the workings, not just the answer. And if you get the answer wrong, but don't have any issues, you get nothing. But if your workings show your thought process and you almost got there, but you couldn't quite get to the answer, you still get something for your effort. And um, my son's having similar challenge. So we've actually got him an external tutor. He's a guy that uh, is a teacher at a local college but he's got a postgrad degree in how to help um, children with learning difficulties he's actually a specialist in that because his own son had some challenges um, and he's absolutely brilliant brilliant with with kids and an amazing uh, teacher so every now and then if my son gets stuck we'll go and see Sam and he can just within 10 minutes you just see the eyes open wide on my son who goes, oh, now I understand. And and he can understand the thought process and then he's away. But it's when you get stuck and you kind of get in, you know, like, I think the old books call it red brown, green brown. When you can't see clearly and you can't 
your brain isn't functioning at full capacity because you're stressed about not being able to solve the problem. You, you, you're not calm and clear and your brain's not going on all cylinders. Hmm. There's actually something called um, flipping the lid with the brain where if you're in a fight or flight response, the brain actually does this action where, where it um, will block off the, your ability to think logically. It's called flipping the lid. It's a simplistic right. representation of it, but it explains yeah. why when you're stressed. Well, under, under huge stress, and especially if you get angry, you tend to lose 25% of your IQ. And for most of us, that puts us in a category of, you know, can't really function at all. Hmm. Um, there's another word for it, which is not very PC, so I won't that one. <laughs> it's safe to be on PC, but it's up to you. There's consequences for you, yeah. not me. Yeah, I'm fine exactly. being cancelled. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Some, people, some people take offence really easy, so yeah. Yeah, I've offended them. Don't worry. Yeah, so, I'm sure. Just, just on, the, on the anger front, because I've been thinking a lot about that. Like, I think, especially with men, like, there's not really an opportunity to have an outlet for anger. It's so it's, there's a lot of shame. There's a lot of. Like, well, I feel I like it is healthy and unhealthy, but if you bottle it up, you're just going to end up with other, other issues and physically as well as emotionally. But yeah, also like exercise, a good walk, um, I have a favorite walking track by the ocean, about five minutes drive from my house and I'll, I'll just go out there in the mornings. Um, so, so being in a, a high density city, it's brilliant because you've got at least a kilometer of open space on either side of the track. Sounds beautiful. Yeah, I um, I would force myself to go for a walk to get a black coffee at St. Helias. I walk along Koei Marama. Ah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I put on yeah, 20 I was... kilos, so I was doing less than a 1,000 steps Ooh, a day. Wow. I lost COVID. 11 kilos now, so we're good. COVID, Not COVID, COVID. just no. not just working 12, 14-hour days in one spot. So you you don't <laughs> you just get fat. Yeah, I was eating fine. You just you got to burn it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's been what's been your lessons? I guess as you've gone in this world of financial advice and and trying to get clients and then navigating your own emotions because you're in sales. You might call it something else, but there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of excitement. There's soul destroying days. What's been your lessons over the years? Oh, it's a big question. Um, yeah, you have to learn that um, it's people are not responding. Um, either it's it's the message or it's the method, or you are trying to to help them in a way that they don't see the value. So until you can build a connection and then build rapport and then ask the right questions to uncover what the actual issue is, you're not going to be seen to be helping them uh, you can run in there and try and pitch you know the online people at a pitch slap you, you know you connect to them on LinkedIn and the next thing you're trying to offer them you know the five fast ways to to you know run, run a marathon or whatever it is it's like back off I don't know who you are and you're not taking the time to find out who I am so why would I even listen to you so you've got to earn the right to be heard but a lot of people think sales is just push, push, push. It's actually all about listening and building rapport and uncovering what it is that they are looking for. And some people don't know what they want until you unravel the pieces and you go, 
And I'll often ask them, what would success look like for you? And no one's actually asked that question ever. And they stop and think and they go, oh, well, I guess if I got this, this and this, I'd be happy. And I go, and if we could do that as well, would that be a win? Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So if you want to do that, this is what we can do. And this is the process. And then now you've got buy-in. You're not trying to push something down the, the chute. You're asking questions to draw out their problem. And the most painful one is the one you need to talk to. Otherwise, again, you're pushing a barrow that they don't see a value in. So you've got to identify what it is they really want deep down. And you might think it's a home, but what they're looking for is security. You might think it's, um, you know, the latest gadgets that they want to feel accepted and part of their peer group. And if they don't have the right phone or the right haircut or the right, you know, my son's about to become a teenager and I'm like, oh, oh my goodness, it's my seatbelt, you know, get ready for this ride. Um, and already, you know, like he just doesn't want a haircut. No, I don't touch the hair. It's just right, you know, and, and I can see it's like, <laughs> so anyway, what would I know? Yeah. <laughs> just on that, like the, the, I always found it interesting asking people, what is it that you actually sell? Because we, we get given this challenge. They gave us a blank piece of paper. We had 30 minutes. We had to go sell it. And I sold it for 10 bucks, but because it's not a blank piece of paper, what it is, is whatever the person wants it to be. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering how you actually think about how to discover what they want or what do you actually think you sell? What do you think people want? Or is it always different? I, yeah. There's usually similar things, but the individual thing they're looking for is quite often different. And there's many times they don't see the, the problems in front of them with the path that they're choosing. So you have to go, have you considered this? Or what about in three years' time when you want to do this? And they go, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. And because most people are only interested in immediate gratification and the opportunity right in front of them. And they're not thinking, what well, if I do this, what is it going to cost me in three years' time or five years' time or vice versa? So um, it's just it's just about asking questions. And you can, you can be as blue sky as you like saying, you know, if you had, here you go, you've got a blank piece of paper. If you had a blank piece of paper and you want to design your life and what it wants to look like in three years' time, what would it look like? Draw me a picture. And then they, because often they're not connected to their own emotions. So you get them to pitch. A picture is much more powerful than words. And so they start with a pitching again. Now tell me about what does this mean in the picture? And they go, oh, I didn't even notice because subconsciously they've just, they've just had a download and they haven't even gone, oh, wow, I didn't know that was sitting there. And then, and you hit that and you go, what is that about? And so it's uncovering again asking the right questions to get to the heart issue because people think they want X so what they're really looking for is something that is going to um, make them happy. But what is happiness? You know, so. Um, what is happiness? You know, well. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? I think it's, it's very individual, but it's, it's having a, a fulfilling life that you feel valued and known and loved and appreciated for what you, for who you are unconditionally, but then your contribution to society is something that people value so that you feel that you're a part of 
a tribe and you have something to offer and that is something that is appreciated. Um, and so, because that gives you hope for the future, like you've got purpose. But what is it? What's your why? Uh, Tom Seneca, whatever his name is, it goes Simon on about. Seneca. Yeah, that's the guy. Find Tom. your why. Close enough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it rhymed. <laughs> yeah. So just, that's interesting. Like, you you seem to you seem to not be talking about mortgages. Like, we are gonna we do talk about mortgages, but you seem to have a right. fascination around a person and who they are and why they make decisions. What, what do you mm-hmm. think? Why that is, or what what why what part of it well, do you find interesting? Ultimately, ultimately, um, a financial decision is lending to a person. So it's all about who is that person? What is their character? That yes, there's a property. Yes, there's an income, but ultimately it's, it's why are they buying it? And if you can't connect with the, with the why for that person, you haven't really connected with their need. And you know, for, for a lot of them, it's this first step on the property ladder or it's in starting a family. I want someone to raise my kids so they can go to a good school. Or I've come out of a busted relationship and I want to start afresh. Or I'm looking to invest for retirement. So those are all valid and different questions for buying property, which requires finance. Yes. And bank speak is secured by property, so hence it's a mortgage. Um, but that's, that's the means to the end. So what is the goal? What is the internal driver for that person? And if you can tap into that, and they will go, this person gets me and I can call them and I can talk about what's going on. And the first, you know, first five or 10 minutes might be about family, the kids, the fishing, or whatever. And then they kind of calm down, got their brain out of work mode. And, and I'm like, so what is it you're looking for? And they go, well, if you can help me buy this house over here, or I'm looking to get an indication of what I can borrow because I'm hoping to live in this area. And now you've got a plan. Now you've got a, what, not just what we're doing, but why we're doing it. And um, the difference between going to the bank and going working with an advisor is just that advice. And uh, it's because the bank, they're literally the staff are, are told not to give advice because then they can be held accountable and they can get it wrong. They still do, and I've had to clean up lots of messes. Um, but ultimately, it's about connection. So uh, here's a story. Um, a couple of years ago, I got called in to see a very panicked lady who had been told by the bank she could make a conditional offer on the house, even though it was going to auction. And the reality was, you can't do that. So, and her offer had been accepted, which means that if no one else did it there, and at the auction, which was coming up in a couple of days' time, she owned the house and she didn't have finance proof. And um, it was like, Holy moly, I can't believe the bad advice has just been received. And I got pulled in to go and see her at nine o'clock in the morning and she'd just done a night shift in the emergency hospital. So she's shattered and she's, and she's got five kids and she's trying to sort out this family finance mess. Um, so I had to just listen until I could uncover what, what had happened, why, how, what were the facts and then. What are some potential ways forward here to, to achieve an outcome that works for everyone? Thankfully, you managed to get it all sorted. Um, but that was some of, some of the days are very high pressure and, and high drama for the people. And you've got to be 
cool, calm, and collected on the inside, even if your brain's going, <laughs> warning, warning, warning. You know, this is, this is a lot of stress and no relying on you to resolve that situation. Do you, do you remember your first moment when you're like, you, you decide you're going to go out and be a mortgage guy and then you, you made your first mortgage after, I don't know, six months of hustling or what's it? No, no, it wasn't like that. Um, I had, I had come from a commercial banking background, so I already had a pretty good grounding and it was just about building connection and credibility. So, um, and, and then just. I probably remember more the moments when we get people in approval and they get a house and they didn't think it was at all possible and, and they'll be in tears on the phone and you know, you've just changed someone's life for the better in a big way. And, um, but often they don't want to get that testimony on their website. They don't want to tell that story because it's too embarrassing. It's too personal. So <laughs> some of the best, some of the best stories I had will never get out in the public in terms of. So who they are, I'll have to tweak it, you know, what do they say on TV? The names have been changed to protect the innocent or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you get joy from that and then, yeah, and then you come down the line and the, the mortgage has gone up to 7% and then you're like, oh, you might lose your house. Let's do it. Like, how, do you have those oh, or what's it? Yeah. 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 Uh, literally the phone call before I hopped in the car to come here. I was talking to my staff, just saying, look, can you run some scenarios on this situation? Um, two years ago, this young couple bought their first home, um, directly from one of New Zealand's biggest building companies, paid far too much. Uh, they have a walking line and in the two years since paying that price. And now the house is actually worth less than what they bought it for. And the mortgage is more than what the house is currently worth. And, um, so if they sell, they'll actually have to pay back bank more than what they have available and that's got to come from somewhere. So that's not really an option. So how do we minimize that damage? How do we, you know, your house frankly is big enough to take in at least two flatmates. Um, or they can move out, rent it for a reasonable price and, you know, move into some little small cheap and cheerful place, but that's a big step backwards in lifestyle and most people aren't willing to pay that sacrifice so we have to we have to present the numbers and then we have to deal with the emotion because people will make a decision based on emotion and then they'll look for rationale to back up their emotive decision and normally moving out of your own home is a highly emotive situation so we'll have to go you know if you stay in the house this is what it's going to look like you might have to compromise your lifestyle and have a couple of randoms in your, in your home or hopefully you've got some friends um, who you trust because you've got, you've got people in your house that are not part of your family. So are they going to leave the tap on all night? Are they going to, you know, there's a whole raft of, you know, we're going to be clacking at universities, you know what I'm saying? Especially if you didn't need it. Initiation, yeah, yeah, you'll palm me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. <laughs> Bad memories. <laughs> yeah. What's well, it? It's a, yeah, it's a tricky thing. I always, I, I would struggle to be a mortgage broker because, broker, you know, the bank's got all the leverage. They can change their mind on things all of a sudden. And then you sign people up for, and that's amazing because you're helping them achieve the unachievable at times. 
And then, and then it's just like, you're like a debt peddler. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, sure, let's go, let's go get some more debt on you. And it's stressful. Like, is there a way to like protect yourself and prepare yourself and, and to make sure, like, is there, I guess, an ethical way of which you approach debt to make sure it's appropriate or, or the banker well, he does? hundred percent. If you, if you're in this game, just to flog debt and to get people up to debt up to their eyeballs, which is not sustainable then A, you're actually breaching the codes that you've signed up to do, and B, morally you shouldn't be doing it. So what you are doing is helping people achieve their dream by getting into a property and then helping them pay that off as fast as possible without, you know, making them look like a monk and have, you know, beans and toast and coffee. So we've actually got a money coach who's a friend of mine who works alongside our clients and can help build a family budget. The couple I just mentioned that have a house worth less than what the bank loan is, they don't have a family budget. I'm like, so my first question to them is, how are you even going to make a decision if you don't know what the facts are? Um, and so we are, we are empowering people to make wise choices and, and hopefully stay within, I call it swimming between the flags. You swim between the flags, you're not going to get bitten by a shark or dragged off into the ocean by a rip. And there are lifeguards watching where you are. It's when you start swimming outside the flags and taking on an afterpay debt or a harmony loan or a car loan that you're buying something to impress someone who doesn't really care about you anyway, you just want to look good, um, that you get in trouble. Um, and there's a few people who, you know, chickens are coming home to roost at the moment. Because they didn't think that their mortgage get so high, and it has. So you know, we're trying to navigate the murky waters and empower people to do the right thing and to be able to sleep at night. If people can't sleep at night because of financial stress, there's, there's major plagues. And yeah, we need to step in and go right. What, what can we chop off? What can we take care of? What is the low hanging fruit? And then how do we get you uh, to a position where you can actually you know, have some peace about where you're at? Are there any like horror stories you've heard from, you know, negligent people in a sense? Like they're like, you hear this story and they've set them up in that way and then they're cooked because of the, because I've, I've heard a lot of like people selling off the plans and their, their whole business model is based around their ability to pick the perfect house, Yeah, you know, and then all of a sudden materials increase and interest rates spike and then the person's just in a situation they didn't understand what's one of the standouts for you that you've been like oh my god okay well you know we don't have all day because i could fill this with (laughs) stories um because often people will ring me and i'm just like oh you're kidding and it just gets from bad to worse um and then you go can i help them is this a dead dead lost cause you know do i do we call in the Undertaker, what are, how are we going to resolve this? What are your options? Um, so, and of course, I'm bound by client confidentiality, so I've got to be careful. But, um, yeah, I'm just thinking about there's a businessman that called me um, recently who had gone to his bank because he grew the business really fast and he didn't have the working capital to finance it because a lot of people when you're in business there's there's two two engines you're either 
don't have enough sales and opportunities or you don't have enough capacity. And that's, that's a very simplistic version. There's a whole lot more rafts of levers and pulleys and things that impact all of that. And any accountant will know what I'm kind of referring to. But you need to, it's like driving a car and you've not got your eye on the fuel gauge and you don't know what this red light means on the, on the warning for the oil pressure. And there's another error message going off on the right, but you just ignore that because you just want to keep driving and you've got to get to your destination. And eventually something's going to blow up in the car and the whole thing shuts down. And you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. It's like, well, you had lots of warning signs. You need to pay attention to them and you, you need to actually read the manual in your car so you know what, you know. And people often treat the accountant like the mechanic, but they don't get a regular checkup. And then they, then all of a sudden, you know, something, the wheel falls off and it's like, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. It's like, well, it's been rattling for the last six months. What did you think was, was wrong? So this, this guy had um, focus on growth without really understanding what that meant for the rest of us. And he had hired someone who was, often business people, they don't hire the person. They think they're going to hire someone to replace them. So they hire someone that's similar personality and style to them it's not actually what you usually need you actually need someone who's an opposite to balance you um you know so a good salesperson needs a really strong accountant to keep you on the straight and narrow and vice versa and so he come more like together hired someone a bit like him so it was grow 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 and then um they got behind with mr ird he then came knocking so he went to see the friendly bank manager who doesn't work for you, he works for the bank. And people don't understand that. So if they just go and expect the bank manager to sign them and give them more money, more money is not the issue. It's what you do with the money that's the issue. And so the problem is actually an opportunity to uncover what's really going on and get to the heart of it and fix the fundamentals so that you can actually, well, they say don't, roar, don't spoil a good crisis. The crisis is there to teach you something and show you what's been wrong on your dashboard so that you can get proper maintenance and get the car back in lane with the right service plan and it doesn't get off the rails again. So in his instance, he actually had to sell his house, which is a financial disaster. Um, so it's like, okay, what we have to be resurrect this and what we have to do and how do we make sure there's dogs and braces in a decent dashboard so that it doesn't happen twice. Um, yeah, so, yeah, we get some interesting stories. Um, there's one, another one, um, some South African couple arrived in the country and um, needed work. So she, she actually started working for a company that sold investment properties. And um, so, of course, her boss was, oh, you can buy an investment property and get into the property market. So, yeah, you, you're, you've got some, you're building equity in an investment. So that all sounds great. Problem is... Um, in three to five years' time, when you actually want to live in your own home, you're tired of renting because you already own a house. You don't qualify for a lot of the first home buyer grants, and you can't withdraw your key saver because so there goes your deposit. Um, and you have to have a higher deposit when you go to the property bank for lending because you've already got a house here. And so I had to gently say, You've kind of shot yourself in the foot. And the only solution is to sell their investment property, take whatever loss, 
pull the money out and you start like you're a first home buyer. Um, and, and that was an example of someone who gave some very cool advice three years ago um, without talking to them about what does that mean for your future? Because ultimately, like right now, they have to top up the mortgage on a rental property and they're sick of renting and they have no deposit because it's all being pumped into KiwiSaver because they thought, oh, I'll just build that up as fast as I can, not realizing that they can't touch it because they're already own a house and you can't pull KiwiSaver funds out except for the determined best financial hardship and wanting to use it for a deposit when you don't qualify is not the criteria for financial hardship. So yeah, there are there are horror stories yeah all over the place. So that's that's why the tagline in my business is quality advice you can trust. Because we, we don't just pedal whatever, we're like, what is what's going on? Where do you want to be? Where are you now? How do you get there? And how do you get there without tripping yourself up by by doing things that you if you look at it in a six month window, you think, Oh, I'm doing a good thing. Well, maybe, but What's the bigger picture and what does that mean down the line? Because if you cheat yourself in the foot now, it's going to be a very expensive mistake. Bomb. Well, there yeah. you go. Before anyone makes an expensive mistake, they know who you are. Uh, that, when we've done a podcast, so thanks for coming on. Well, you're welcome. Um, it's not all, you know, horror stories. We, we love, we do have, <laughs> those, you want to end on the negative. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, the train smash is always more entertaining on the six o'clock news, isn't it? I don't like the hit, what do they do? The good sorts is at the end of the six o'clock news, a little two minute spiel, you know, and it's like, oh, that's a nice warm fuzzy, so I can, you know. <laughs> or should we end on a warm fuzzy then? What, what's a, what a standout moment for you where you thought, wow, you know what? I love my job. Yeah. Okay. Here's one. Uh, young couple, first home buyers. Missed out on several houses, really, you know, getting quite exasperated because each time they go to, to um, bid at an auction, they spend money with the lawyers, they spend money with a building inspector. Sometimes they have to spend money on a valuation because they don't have a big deposit. So, you know, you can kick off $2,000 for every house they're trying to buy, which eats into their already small deposit. And you're just trying to help them navigate that by, you know, we run property reports so that they're, they're not wasting too much energy on something that's not within their ballpark. And then helping them with a good lawyer who just says, look, you can make a treaty, you can make an office subject to XYZ. And if the office is accepted, then we can do the due diligence on the property. So that saves you some money. Um, and this couple, I can't remember how many houses they missed out on, but um, they found one they really liked. And, um, I helped them navigate the process. So I said, you can go in or just below what you think these people are really after and make it a condition that if they accept your offer, it's off the market. Boom, taken off. There's no auction. And the vendors had turned down a pre-auction offer above what they offered, but they did it right and they got the house for less than what that pre-auction offer was for and didn't have to bid against anyone else. So, um, yeah, that was a great outcome. Well, all right. Well, thank you for coming on. Yeah, no, you're welcome. And um, next time, I'll be a bit of prepared with the technology, hopefully. Yeah, we did all right. It came together. Thank you for adjusting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what do they say? Good things take time? Or yeah, good things come to those who wait. Bob. Yeah.